This is HPR episode 2889 entitled Describing How I Listen to Podcasts Part 2. It is hosted by Mr. X and is about 18 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is In this episode, I cover the hardware I've used over the years to listen to podcasts. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Welcome, Hacker Public Radio audience. My name is Mr. X, and welcome to this podcast. As usual, I'd like to start by thanking the people at HPR for making this service available to us all. HPR is a community-led podcast. It's provided by the community for the community. That means you can get involved and record something and post it too. Just pick up a microphone and hit record, or... uh, Use your mobile phone, uh, your computer, whatever you've got to hand, really. Um, it's really very easy. I'm sure you must have something interesting to uh, to record. Um, so this is part two about the, how I consume or listen to podcasts or something like that. I'm not quite sure what the title's going to be, but something along those lines. And um, in this one, I think I'll probably cover um, how I actually day-to-day listen to podcasts, how I control uh, uh, playing back podcasts and um, obviously my previous episode that follows on from the previous episode where uh, I cover Mock P which is a music player that I use and uh, let's just see now what I got so I basically uh, uh, listen to um, my podcast using uh, cordless headphones. Uh, these are, uh, I think, these are um, analog cordless headphones. They're not uh, Bluetooth or anything like that, and uh, they just basically plug into the audio output of the uh, the device I'm I'm uh, playing my podcast on, which was originally my home server. Uh, if you remember uh, back in episode two thousand one hundred and twelve, and. I downloaded my podcast using HPodder, which I covered in 2106. <laughs> Won't bore you with all that nonsense. And um, so I actually listened to the thing using these cordless headphones. Yeah, I've got some notes here on, on cordless headphones, which I'll go through. So my first set of cordless headphones, uh, I listened to my podcast using cordless headphones. They are not Bluetooth. It's all analog. There is no encryption. It's all out in the open. The headphones operate in the 860 megahertz range. 
and use frequency modulation. They use the same frequency as cordless microphones. I regularly pick up the DJ and karaoke singers in the local club behind me. I often wonder if they pick up my broadcasts. I wonder if they appreciate HPR. My first set of cordless headphones lasted quite a long time. They had a short curly cable that plugged into the side of them to allow them to be charged. After some time, the coating around the ear cups disintegrated and eventually the strap that went over the head split and that was the end of my headphones. My second set of cordless headphones were made by Philips and I think they would have been quite an expensive pair. I picked them up going cheap some time later on another visit to Blackpool Amateur Radio Rally. They had quite funky styling and were a fair bit heavier than my first pair and were quite a bit more sophisticated. The tuning was very simple and they had circuitry that locked onto the transmitter's frequency and tended not to need retuning like my first pair that tended to drift off frequency. They had one major disadvantage. They were not a snug fit and if I bent down they tended to fall off my head. The extra weight made things even worse. These headphones did not last long. Uh, They sat on a charging base which made contact with two pins. These soon started causing problems and were temperamental at charging. Eventually the push power button failed. And that was the end of set number two. Set number three, the third set of Cordes headphones were a cheap pair from Lidl's. These were also a bit big. I ended up spending quite some time trying to find a good replacement pair of headphones and they all failed with the same problem. I'm here to tell you that size matters for us pinheads. Things might be dandy for all you fatheads out there but for us pinheads it's no laughing matter. As a side note, these days it almost seems that I'm living in the land of giants as all the everyday objects are built for an alien race of giants. Whenever I sit for a meal drive a car, sit at a desk, I feel like a child. Nothing fits. And don't get me started about clothes. My current set of cordless headphones. Eventually I stumbled across my current set of headphones. They are a good snug fit, are light, have lasted a very long time. Recently the coating around the ear cups have become perforated after many years of relentless use. This hasn't caused an issue as I've had with much younger headphones, where the coating became crumbly beneath and caused so much mess that I had to stop using them. I wonder, in fact, how much longer these headphones will continue to work. The only fault with them now is that a plastic cover on one side sometimes slightly pops out, but can be either ignored or popped in with a slight pressure. And even this was not their fault. This was caused a few years ago when I dropped the headphones from some height I was sure they would break, but no, they have proved very sturdy. When I bought them, I was a little nervous about them being on a charging dock like the Philips headphones I had previously. But unlike them, they continue to reliably charge without a hitch, so the contacts are obviously made from a superior material. For all their longevity, comfort and lightweight, they are far from perfect. The biggest problem is that the transmitter and receiver tend to drift, 
meaning that you need to occasionally retune the headphones. The other problem is that the tuning control is very sensitive and needs only the slightest movement to find the right spot. Still, these are by far the best cordless headphones I've ever owned. Now at this point I could give you the make and model of these particular headphones, but as they have probably been removed from the market many years ago, and finding a pair of second-hand headphones like these would be difficult, I decided not to do this, as this would make it even less likely for me to find a replacement pair if I were to reveal the make and model to you. So I must decline and apologise for my selfishness. You know, it isn't easy being a pinhead like me. Okay, so that that's how I um, listen to the podcasts that, that I consume. So, and I mentioned that I use a Mock P music on the command line player uh, to listen to the podcasts. So, how do I actually control Mock P? Well, originally I used a compact N610C laptop connected to a dedicated screen session running on my iPack server. This was an old laptop which I think only had 256 megabytes of RAM. The laptop was rather heavy but allowed me to remotely control my server from anywhere in the house. After that, I I eventually purchased an EEE PC laptop and used this to remotely control Mock as it was considerably smaller and lighter than my ageing old compact laptop. It was very useful and convenient and I still occasionally use it from time to time. I wanted something smaller that was more portable to carry around and stumbled upon the excellent Nokia N810. I seem to remember Klaatu did an excellent episode about either the N800 or N810. This was one of the best solutions I found for controlling the play of podcasts. The device was ultra-portable. It was beautifully constructed with a unique feature unlike modern touchscreen devices. It had a sorely missed slide-out keyboard. This made it very easy to control the Encurse's mock player running on my server. It would automatically connect to my Wi-Fi and SSH into a detached multi-screen session running on my server. It would run all day, continuously connected to my Wi-Fi using only one charge. Like the other Nokia devices of the day, gaining access to the battery was easy, meaning the battery could be replaced, which I eventually did after much use. The build quality was excellent, the main body being metal. Eventually my beloved N810 started to fail though after many years of faithful service. The touchscreen occasionally seemed to lose calibration. This deteriorated until the touchscreen stopped working altogether. The weak point in N810 turned out to be the wonderful slide-out keyboard. The repeated slide-out action caused one of the internal ribbon cables to fail. I must have slid the keyboard in and out multiple times each day. I could easily have reduced the number of times I did this, which would have undoubtedly have extended its life. The slider action was very smooth and was rather addictive. I'm sure this speeded up the device of the device. I managed to purchase a replacement main internal cable harness and spent almost a whole day meticulously breaking the unit down to the lowest level in order to replace the damn cable. After all this effort, the device switched on, but the original fault remained. 
I'm still convinced it was a, an internal ribbon cable fault, and I think there may have been more than one cable, and perhaps I didn't get a good connection when I refitted it, as the whole process was very fiddly. The downshot was that my lovely N810 was out of action. I couldn't bring myself to throw it away, and I still have it today, but it's only useful as a paperweight now. I was now in a situation, how was I going to continue controlling my remote music player, Mock, which ran on my headless server? Well, the first solution was uh, a Nexus 7 tablet. I purchased a Nexus 7 tablet, uh, hoping to use it to replace not only my faithful N810, but also my wonderful Sign 3. It was the first Nexus 7 model with only one camera. The Nexus was fun to play with, but ultimately, while it is great for consuming information pushed to you from Google, it's really frustrating if you're trying to produce something on it. Without a keyboard, I found it very frustrating. My wife used it far more than me. Switching users seemed very slow, and the battery life ended up being less than my N810. Turned out not to be an ideal replacement for the N810, and a hopeless replacement to the Cyan, as data entry was so cumbersome. After about a year, my Nexus started failing. I think there was a fault with either its inbuilt flash memory or the controller circuit. The whole experience was a bit disappointing. As I previously mentioned, the sound eventually stopped working on my iPad compact server around the time when I got my first Raspberry Pi, and it's now mostly replaced my iPad server. My server is now only used to download the actual podcast. I use my Pi to listen to the podcasts. This provides a number of advantages over my old iPad server. First, it used far less power than my server. I think my server drew about 25 watts from the mains. The Pi draws considerably less, probably in the order of 2 watts. This means I can leave the Pi running non-stop all day. This greatly simplifies keeping track of where I am in my current playlist. In the past, I turned my server off each night, only turning it on when I came in from work. I would do an ls in the directory I was listening to and redirect the output to a text file. I'd update this text file to keep track of what track and position of track I was listening to. In the process of creating these files, I learned a bit about formatting text using standard Linux commands, such as cut, sort, awk, said. I found this strangely satisfying and was amazed how powerful and flexible these tools were, though it did take up a great deal of time. I later improved things and came up with a rather elaborate and sometimes unreliable script that would allow the music player mock to automatically hunt for the track I last listened to and to then move to the correct position within the track. Using the Pi greatly simplified all of this, as I just left it running. This meant I no longer had the tedious job of creating text files and manually keeping track of where I was in my playlist. I decided it might still be useful to keep track of my playlist progress and came up, came up with a much simpler script that runs a cron job to get the current track and position and write it to a log file. This is done every night at midnight. That way, should the Pi crash, which it never does, or there is a power cut, which is very rare, then I always know 
where I was within my playlist. This has proved to work very well indeed, with much lower maintenance requirements. My Pi was the very first generation Pi. Even back in the very beginning, I found the audio quality to be satisfactory. I don't know whether I have duff ears or a particularly good Pi, but I really never had any issues with the Pi audio quality. Yet I distinctly remember complaint after complaint on many podcasts in the early days about the Raspberry Pi audio. As far as I'm concerned, the audio quality was certainly more than adequate for listening to podcasts. Over time, audio has improved greatly on the Pi. The biggest improvement coming from software optimization and continual refinement of the firmware drivers by the Raspberry Pi Foundation. From memory, when I first started using the Pi, a click or pop could be heard whenever the audio playback was started or stopped. Playing audio also consumed a fair chunk of processing. These days, there are no pops or clicks and you can barely notice any loading on the CPU, even when using the first generation Pi. The improvements are remarkable. I also discovered by accident that it can very easily play two audio tracks simultaneously, again with barely detectable CPU loading. Okay, so I think that's enough for this episode before you all fall asleep. So, um, the next part, uh, part three, will cover... um, my solutions to controlling Mock P uh, without um, an external device other than my triple EPC, of course, that is. Um, and so I'll cover that in part three. So I hope that wasn't too much and wasn't too boring. And uh, if you want to contact me, I can be contacted at mrx at hpr at googlemail.com. So until next time, thank you and goodbye. You will produce a show. 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 You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.